Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Ask Marco on the Passive Real Estate Investing Show. I want to begin today with a text I got last night. I was texting one of our investor clients and a person who's become a friend. I really respect him. He's a very successful entrepreneur and real estate investor. His name is Steven. I actually asked him. He made a comment to me in a text, and I actually asked him, I said, would you mind if I shared this on the next recording of my podcast? And I was thinking of my Ask Marco episode here this morning, and he said, that's fine, because he was really passing a message on to me that he felt would be an important reminder for other real estate investors to understand the power and benefits of real estate investing, especially in today's environment and climate, and looking at how prices have appreciated so much over the last few years. So he said, yep, go ahead, you know, ignore the uh, grammatical errors, but his text is actually pretty straightforward and clean. So with that, I'm going to read what he sent me and, uh, and just make a quick comment about it. So Steve texted me last night. He says, I was sharing with someone today, episode number 299. I listened along with him. As a side note, the name of that episode or the title is The Real Returns of Real Estate Investing. Stephen goes on to say, I have invested in nearly 20 250 unit or more class B plus properties. So that's a lot of property, a lot of units, probably in excess of $12 million in cash. I don't consider myself someone who needs a lesson like the one in episode number 299. While I listened along, I did not learn anything new, but as you came towards the end, I did get a good reminder. I was fortunate enough to have refinanced plenty of money before interest rates began to jump. I received millions in refinance proceeds, and as you know, I was looking for cash-flowing investments, something that's getting harder to find these days. Near the end of the episode, you grounded me by reminding me what I already knew from my years of experience. The true value of these investments, the appreciation, amortization, and tax benefits. Gone are the bonus instant cash flow deals. It's time to adjust my thinking out of 2015 and get my money working through these times and appreciate the true benefits of the assets I wish to purchase. I can't be the only one who can benefit from this reminder. It might be a good idea to remind all of your quote-unquote cash flow hungry listeners that though times they are changing, there is still great wealth creation to be made with unrealized gains in low cash flowing properties. This is an incredible reminder. It's a great point. It's really summarized in the last part of the last sentence. There are still great wealth creation opportunities to be made with unrealized gains in low cash flowing properties. So this is true. I mean, there are five pillars, as I call it, with real estate. And Stephen points out appreciation, amortization, and tax benefits, you know, being three that are very important to him and something that has helped him not only create a lot of wealth, but preserve a lot of that wealth. So keep that in mind when you're investing in real estate, especially if you're focused on markets that have appreciated quite a bit and are still somewhat pricey relative to where they were in 2015 and your cash flows aren't as sexy or as high, your cash on cash returns aren't that high, just remember that this is the long game, not a short game. So if you're in it and your property is carrying itself, it's paying for itself, even if you don't have a lot of cash flow, at least not today, that may change in three, five, seven, ten 10 years from now, you've got to keep in mind the benefits of that real estate. You have the tax benefits that lowers your taxable income 
in terms of gains that you make across the board. If you are classified as a professional real estate investor, then you can apply that not only to passive income sources, but your active income sources as well. So it becomes even 10 times better. The appreciation and amortization, that just means every month and every year, your net worth is increasing because the equity in your properties are increasing. This looks slow, like a snail in the beginning, but as time goes on, as the months and years go by, it becomes very powerful. It magnifies itself. It's impressive. And especially if you build a portfolio, if it happens with one property, it's great. But if it starts happening with two, three, five, ten properties or more, it becomes very exciting. And I mean, I've witnessed this, you know, firsthand front line, but a lot of our clients and investors, as they grow and invest, they experience the same thing. So again, you know, I've thanked Stephen for sharing this with me and I thank him again for allowing me to share that. So for those of you who haven't listened to episode number 299, it's titled The Real Returns of Real Estate Investing. I would go and check that out, listen to it. It's probably worth listening to, you know, twice. But to summarize Stephen's point, he's really just saying this. He's saying that there is still great wealth creation to be made with unrealized gains in low cash flowing properties. And that's true in many markets that we're in today. And that might be the case for a little while. Prices will adjust, rents will adjust, things will normalize, everything works in cycles, sometimes short, sometimes long. But that's just the nature of the beast. As I was telling my cousin last night, you know, I look at real estate like a pendulum. It's always swinging one way or the other. It's rarely, if ever, in a state of equilibrium. So the pendulum is always swinging one way or the other. You're in an up cycle or a down cycle. You're in a buyer's market or a seller's market. But things are constantly changing. It's always a state of flux. Fortunately, real estate is a slow-moving asset class. You can see things coming. You can make predictions. You can make some intelligent decisions. But you can actually bank on that. It's all about what is going on in the market, the economy, a cycle, local or macro, and the trends. I mean, I'm a big believer in trends. Unintentionally, I'm kind of teeing up something I'm working on here in the in the weeks and months to come related to real estate market trends. So I'll just leave you with that teaser. So subscribe and stay, stay tuned. I'll share more with you as time goes on. So today I wanted to cover some people's questions. I've got a bunch of them in front of me. I'll see how many I can take, try and respect the recording time here, try to keep it to about 30 minutes or so for this episode. Okay, let me see. I'm going to grab the first one here. Ariana, sounds like she is a first-time investor. She goes, hello, I am 35 and I have finally saved enough, in brackets, $100,000, to buy an investment property. I've never purchased a house before, so I feel I need guidance. I am contemplating two options. First, buy a duplex or triplex in California, my home state. I would live in one unit for a couple of years until I save enough for another property. This option will most likely eat up most of my savings since property values are so high. So true. Second option, buy a turnkey investment out of state and continue to rent in California. I will most likely be able to buy a second turnkey property in less than two years. Final question, should I create an LLC before buying my first property? Any advice will help. Thank you for your time. Very good question. I remember answering a similar question at least once or twice in years past. So to your first question about your two options, loosely speaking, it depends. But generally speaking, if you're in an expensive state like California or coastal California, you are going to get more often than not more bang for the buck 
renting than buying. This is not always true, but generally speaking, you'll get more square footage for the dollar if you are renting because there are a lot of good deals out there where you can get properties that are you know 2,000 square feet or more for a pretty attractive rate. If you were to buy, especially now with interest rates the way they are, I will almost guarantee that you're going to be spending more in principal interest tax insurance than you would if you were just renting a nice property in the location that you want to be in. And that's not permanent. You'll just rent for as long as you want to until you can afford to buy something. And maybe it's not even in California. Who knows? You might end up moving. So based on that, I would say, and I'm not giving you financial advice or telling you what to do, run your numbers. This is all about math and data and trends, but run your numbers and take a look at what you can get by renting here. Even though you're not building any equity, it might be the right time. You know, prices, depending on where you live in California, prices have actually either stalled or have been correcting. So there is an adjustment going on. So it may not be an optimum time to be buying. Again, it's all about trends and timing with this type of question. But to your second option, that makes a whole heck of a lot of sense to me because you can continue to live the lifestyle that you're living now in the location you're living now or where you want to live. Remember my, my saying, live where you want, invest where it makes sense. This is where you know that trademark saying comes in. Buy one or two turnkey investment properties in markets that make sense that will provide you stability, growth potential, some cash flow. Take advantage of what Stephen was talking about you know, five minutes ago in his text to me last night. Take advantage of that amortization, the appreciation, the tax benefits you get from the real estate, whatever cash flows you can get now, which will over time grow and increase so it becomes a growing source of passive income. Your second option sounds like, to me, the best option. Again, look at what's out there and run your numbers. But just knowing what I know is out there in terms of turnkey out-of-state investment property, I know you're going to find one or two properties that will kickstart your real estate investing career and allow you to still live in your home state of California and do the things you like to do. So hopefully that answers your question, Ariana. To your second question there, no, you do not need to set up an LLC beforehand. You can. It's quick, easy, inexpensive. You're welcome to do it. And the fact that it's quick, you might as well just take care of it, but you need to know what state you're investing in with that real estate before you set up the LLC. Because again, not you know legal advice, but if you listen to the stuff I've talked about in many, many episodes about asset protection, generally speaking, you want an LLC set up in the state where you are going to hold property. So again, hypothetically, if it's in Florida, you'll have a Florida LLC. Title will be held in that LLC, that disregarded entity for asset protection purposes. So you don't need it, beforehand, but it's easier if you have it set up beforehand. All right. Thanks for the question. Ryan writes in, he says, hi, I am 21 years old with no experience in real estate investing. I'm getting a lot of these lately, you know, a lot of uh, new investors. I see an opportunity to have some income here and want to know more about short-term rental properties or other ways to build a cash flow. I'm interested in the Nevada area in Lake Tahoe, but do not know where to start. Thanks. Well, you start with the question of where should I invest? Now, I, I assume you're listening to podcasts, you're educating yourself, you're reading books, you're learning what you can. That's really the starting point, always the starting point. And that really is never the end point. You always want to be a student and continue learning. But you know, if you're just getting started, and this is great, you're only 21 years old, you have time on your side. That's your most valuable, precious asset, time. And if you've got time on your side and time working for you, you're going to create tremendous wealth as you start to invest and build hard assets 
in your investment portfolio and real estate is ideal for this. So identify, I'm going to assume you have investable cash savings. If and when you do, then you're ready to move forward. But in the meantime, identify the markets that make sense for you. As a suggestion, contact one of my investment counselors and have this discussion because if you're there, if you've got credit and investable cash, then the question becomes, where's the best place for you to be investing at this point in time? I know you're interested in Nevada. I don't know a lot about Lake Tahoe. I don't, from what I saw, prices are pretty frothy there. So I'm not sure if the rent to price ratios pan out, meaning you won't get a very good cap rate or cash on cash return. So it might not be the best place to invest or start. I don't know where you live, but if you live in the area, you need to kind of change your thinking and mindset. You got to start thinking in terms of where in this country is the best place to invest my hard earned capital and put it into income producing real estate and get the best returns, both realized and unrealized gains. So be market agnostic. Again, I don't know where you live, but don't be married to a market. Learn to be market agnostic. Ryan, I appreciate the question. Let me move on to another one. All right, so Elvin writes in, Hi Marco, I recently came across some info on the debt shredder. I do not know what the debt shredder is. Although I did do a Google search, it sounds like it's kind of a, a program or a piece of software that allows you or shows you how to accelerate your debt payments if you've got multiple loans, such as credit cards and otherwise. But anyway, that's kind of the gist of it. Those folks say that it is better to pay down your loan and then use the equity to scale. While I'd understand you, trying to understand your email here. Well, I'd understand you that it is better to do just the minimum payment each month and save for another down payment. I'm confused which is the fastest way to scale. The fastest way to scale, regardless of whether you have this debt shredder thing or not, is this. You want to focus on your top line income or revenue if it's a business. You want to build as much income as fast as possible so you have the most amount of deployable capital to invest at any given time. So you can cut expenses and you can cut down on debt service, which would be loans and credit cards. That's fine. But if you are throwing big chunks of cash to pay down debt that you could use to invest in income producing assets, that's something you should focus on. Because what you can do is build a portfolio and then take cash flows from your assets, your investments, and apply those to paying down your debts. So this is again, you know, a numbers-based question. I think long-term, and you know, numbers show me this, that you're better off investing in assets like real estate that generate income and generate equity, which is wealth creation, and do that well and significantly over time than to focus short-term on paying down debts. Now, unless you have a ton of debt and you know it's, it's really affecting you financially or in your ability to qualify for mortgage financing, then you need to focus on paying down your debt because if your debt to income ratio is too high, you might not be able to qualify for mortgage loans, mortgage financing. So you gotta look at your situation and what you're capable of doing and if it's holding you back from doing anything. But you know, again, this requires more discussion. There's not enough information here to really make a decision, you or I, or anyone else one way or another. But again, generally speaking, I think it would be better to focus on deploying your capital on income producing assets like real estate. So hopefully that's not confusing, but the fastest way to scale, again, is to grow your income as fast as possible. All right, next question from Steve. He's asking about analyzing numbers for newbies. Marco, first, love what you do and how you do it. Well, thank you, Steve. You add so much value to those who of us who are feeling 
our way into the rental real estate world. Thank you for all you do. I learn a lot from you and appreciate what and how you do it. I appreciate that. Thank you, Steve. So besides my primary home, I have two rental properties, both performing well. I have some ownership in a few large syndicated deals with investors, but my goal is to build my portfolio of rental properties for the long-term hold. I want positive cash flow, not to live on now, but hopefully in 15 years from now. My long-term goal is 10 to 15 properties, more if all goes well. I currently have cash to add three properties in the next three to four months. I do recognize the acquisition costs are higher, but I am looking at purchasing price budget of about $130,000 each. If the market doesn't collapse, my plan would be to leverage these into 12 to 18 months with cash out refinances to add more to the portfolio. Okay, that makes sense. Like you said, quote, the best time was 10 years ago. The next best time is now, close quote. My goal for a single family rental property is to provide between two to $300 cash flow per month. Well, that is actually quite reasonable and doable, especially in the $130,000 price range. That's my commentary. Steve goes on to say, having followed you and your podcast for well over a year, I have connected with Melissa. She is awesome. Well, <laughs> thank you. She'll be glad to hear that. I'm currently in the pre-approval process to begin closing deals, utilizing the expertise and connections of Norada. However, analyzing the numbers as a newbie is a bit frightening. Cap rate, NOI, IRR, etc. Any advice you can give to me in how I can better understand the numbers to know if a potential deal will yield the results I want. Yes, I can. And then he goes on to say, the second question is, I was previously, quote unquote, burned on a property in the Detroit area. I'm sorry to hear that. I thought it was a B minus neighborhood on the trend up, but it wasn't. How do I get back to the point of trusting the low B or even high C to mid C neighborhoods? It seems as if the acquisition costs are typically lower in these areas, but come with more risk. Well, that is 100% true. You just hit the nail on the head. My sincere thanks and appreciation for how you help others achieve their dreams, Steve. Steve, thank you for the question. I appreciate everything and the kind words. You've got two good questions in here. How do you better understand the numbers? Well, let me keep it simple for you. So first and foremost, my litmus test, the first thing I look at, and this is, I don't make decisions based on uh, the rent to price ratio or rent to value ratio, what, you know, we often refer to as an RV ratio. That's simply the monthly rent divided into the purchase price or the value if you've held a property for a while. The example I use for simple math is a property that's $100,000 that's renting for $1,000 a month. Divide the thousand into the 100,000 and you get 1%. That's known in the industry as the 1% rule. It was more of a truism and an easier target in years past, um, you know, in the mid 20, 20,000 year range. So 2015, 2013, 2017, as the years have gone by, properties have been appreciating faster than rents. So that RV ratio has been dropping across the board, more so in some markets than others. The thing is, is those 1% RV ratio properties or the 1% rule properties still exist. They're out there. They're typically in tertiary markets or markets that haven't appreciated as much or as fast as other markets. They're nice to have. You can certainly find them if you downgrade your criteria. And this is not something I recommend anybody do. If you are looking for properties in like B, B plus or A class neighborhoods, don't downgrade your criteria and go into C-class neighborhoods or even worse, D-class neighborhoods, which I would consider more or less war zones, just to get that higher rent to price ratio. You will get it by downgrading your neighborhood quality or criteria. But as you said it yourself, you know, you may be taking on more risk. The demographics are different. The acquisition costs are typically lower. 
uh, but you're taking on uh, more risk because not only of the environment, the community or neighborhood, but the anecdotally speaking, the, the neighborhood demographics. You're, you're just dealing with a different type of, of person or tenant base. So if you want to go down that road, that's fine. Just understand what you're getting into. Have thick skin and have a really good property management company that knows how to deal with you know, the lower income demographic that you find generally speaking, in you know these C-class neighborhoods. But the litmus test is the rent to price ratio. That's where I start. Following that, I look at the cap rate and then the cash on cash return. The cap rate is you know what the rate of return is on that property here and now based on whatever down payment you put. Actually, I take that back. The cap rate is not based on the down payment. It's based on the purchase price as a whole. If you look at it in light of your down payment, now you're talking about your cash on cash return. So it's basically the cap rate leveraged. So if you put 20% down, whatever that property is generating per year divided into your down payment gives you the cash on cash return. Now your net operating income is really just all your income minus all your expenses before debt service. That's something that is good to look at, but that's not something you really base your decision on. You calculate your cap rate based on the net operating income. So the cap rate is really the percentage measure of that net operating income or NOI. Now the internal rate of return or IRR is something good to look at. This gives you the true return on that property over a period of time looking at that property at a point in time. So if you were to hypothetically buy a property holder for let's say five years, it doesn't matter what the number is, and sell it, whatever your total gains are, cash flows and equity taken out of the property, you take those numbers, adjust for inflation or time, and look at that in light of the down payment that you've made. It's a complicated formula. This is why it's kind of hard to explain in words. But essentially what you're getting is your internal rate of return. This is adjusting for time over a period of time and looking at all your gains as if you had liquidated or sold or realized all those gains. It is good to Google that. Uh, we also have articles on our website at noradarealestate.com that explain IRR, but it is uh, getting into the weeds a little bit. To answer your question, my advice to you to better understand the numbers on a potential deal is quickly look at the RV ratio. If it's over 0.7%, continue doing your due diligence. You can go lower if in highly appreciating strong growth markets because you're going to make up in those gains, the unrealized gains on the appreciation or the equity gains, far more than what you were going to get in the cash flow or actually going to get in the cash flow because those areas tend to cash flow very poorly, but they're very, very strong in terms of gains. So look at the RV ratio, look at the cap rate, look at what your potential cash on cash return is as if you were putting 20 or 25% down and then run your numbers. At the end of the day, you want to have that pro forma in front of you. You could use the ones on our website. Every single property has a pro forma attached to it. Just again, side note and a quick reminder, we only post about 10% of the properties available to you that are in our pipeline on our website. So don't think that what we have on our website is everything. It's not, it's not even close. But you can use that dynamic calculator that we have on our website with any property because you can change all the variables and numbers and create your own scenario. So you can actually use it as a calculator for yourself. I am working to create that same thing as just a publicly available page where you can just go and plug in the numbers you want and use it as a tool. It's not live yet, it's in development.
But that's what you need to do. You just need to run the numbers and look at your annual pro forma. What is the property going to do in year one, two, three, four, five? Of course, you're making assumptions for anything beyond the first year, but that's how you do your analysis. Okay, Steve, to your second question, being burned. Look, again, like I said, if you need to define what your investment criteria is, if you want to stick to, you know, B, B plus or A minus or even A grade neighborhoods, that's what you need to stick to. You know, A class neighborhoods are your higher quality more higher priced for that market type of neighborhoods and areas. They tend to have really nice malls, more boutique type stores. Definitely you'll have everything from Starbucks there to let's say Macy's or even Nordstrom's. Those are your A-class areas. Your B-class areas are your middle income, kind of mid-market demographic, your bread and butter communities. It's predominantly either blue collar and a mixture of white collar employees that live there and work there. So again, you'll find a lot of good stores in those areas and smaller strip malls. You will find Starbucks and all that kind of stuff. But that's typically your B-class neighborhoods. As you start to drop below that, you get into your lower B or, or C-class neighborhoods. This is where you start to see your dollar generals, you know, your 99-cent stores, your thrift stores, your bond stores, you know, I sell bonds, jail bonds, and all that kind of stuff. You get the idea. So you know, this is a personal preference. I like to stick to upper B and A-class neighborhoods as much as possible because I just know that they are going to perform well long-term and they are more stable. They have greater appreciation potential and less headache over time for my property manager and for myself. All right, let's see. Can I take one more question here? Maybe what I'll do is I'll just wrap it up here for today and just do another Ask Marco episode and drop these other questions into that one and I'll maybe release them close to each other. All right, well, that is it for today. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate your time. If you haven't subscribed already, do remember to subscribe. It only takes you a few seconds. We appreciate ratings and reviews, whether that be on iTunes or anywhere else where you're listening or watching to this. Thank you for the questions. If you have another question in mind or you haven't ever sent me a question, go to Passive Real Estate Investing, click on Ask Marco, and I will take your question. Thank you for listening, and I will see you all on our next episode. Are you on track to achieve your financial goals? Income-producing real estate is the most historically proven way to accumulate wealth and has created more financial freedom than any other means. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best turnkey cash flow rental properties. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly income. Get your free strategy session with our knowledgeable investment counselors at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please contact the host.